It's Tuesday, November the 16th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden and Xi parlay and NATO and Russia glower. First, the world in brief. Presidents Joe Biden and Xi Jinping kicked off their first, quote, face-to-face, albeit virtual, summit by talking up the importance of avoiding conflict between America and China. Mr Biden said the rivalry between their two countries should be, quote, just simple, straightforward competition. And Mr Xi called for, quote, greater communication and cooperation. With matters like Taiwan, trade and cybersecurity yet to be discussed, this could prove to be a fleeting moment of agreement. Hours earlier, Mr Biden signed into law his still mighty infrastructure bill, having paired it back to accommodate Republicans to the right and then fighting hard to keep Democrats to the left. Its final form commits $1.2 trillion to the power grid, rail projects and various, quote, greening measures. The president casts it as a testament to the enduring power of democracy. NATO warned Russia that it would stand by Ukraine, noting, quote, a significant, large Russian military build-up along their border, just as the Russians are helping to ferment a migrant crisis at the EU's Polish border with Belarus. America had cautioned its European allies last week that Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, may be preparing to send troops into more of eastern Ukraine. Russia touched off further alarm with an anti-satellite missile test, blasting one of its own satellites out of orbit. The resulting debris forced crew on the International Space Station to seek shelter. An American official called the test, quote, dangerous and irresponsible, and said the space junk it generated could, quote, threaten the interests of all nations. Ohio's Attorney General sued Meta, Facebook's parent company, on behalf of the state employee's pension fund, alleging that the firm misled investors about harmful content on the platform and user metrics. Once Facebook's, quote, scheme to deceive the market was revealed, the suit claims, its share price fell and plaintiffs suffered losses. Meta said the case lacked merit and that it would fight it, quote, vigorously. Cuban authorities prevented the organiser of a banned pro-democracy march scheduled for Monday from leaving his home. Junior Garcia, founder of the online group Archipelago, which called for protests across the island against its ruling regime, was one of several activists blocked in their houses. The authorities also withdrew the credentials of five Spanish reporters covering the protests, before reinstating two of them. Royal Dutch Shell announced it would drop its dual listing structure and move its tax residency and headquarters from the Netherlands to Britain. Third point, an activist investor, took a stake in the company last month to try and break it up. In May, a Dutch court ordered Shell to increase the rate at which it cuts its emissions. And figure of the day, 4%, the share of total deaths in the Netherlands which are assisted. As more countries liberalise assisted dying, the global total will rise further. And now here's today's agenda. All in the ball. 
Biden's vaccine mandate in court. A bouncing ping-pong ball could on Tuesday determine the fate of President Joe Biden's plan to boost the COVID-19 vaccination rate among American workers. The regulation, scheduled to take effect on January 4th, compels companies employing more than 99 people to require their workers to get vaccinated or submit to weekly testing. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has temporarily blocked the mandate, saying it is plagued by, quote, grave statutory and constitutional issues. But a sheaf of similar lawsuits across the country is triggering a rare game of chance. In 1988, Congress decided that challenges to a federal regulation filed in multiple regions should be consolidated in one circuit via a lottery. If the highly conservative Fifth Circuit's ball pops out, prospects for the regulation seem grim. Likewise for the 11th. But if the more liberal Second or Ninth Circuit wins the day, so might Mr Biden's mandate. Presumption of guilt. Su Chi on trial. Ong Song Su Chi's lawyers will give their closing arguments as the trial she is undergoing, a mockery of justice designed to silence her, comes to a close on Tuesday, according to AFP. The military junta which seized power last February accuses Ong Song Su Chi, until then de facto leader of Myanmar, of committing 11 crimes among them corruption and possessing unlicensed walkie-talkies. The trial has lasted months, but the verdict is not in doubt. The coup was necessary, say the generals, because Miss Su Chi's political party stole an election in November last year. Independent observers say the poll, which her party won by a landslide, was largely free and fair. The junta has promised a rerun of that election in 2023. Miss Su Chi will be under house arrest long past that if her allies' experiences are anything to go by. Two figures from her political party found guilty of corruption were sentenced to 75 and 90 years in prison last week. The Art of Self-Defence Kyle Rittenhouse's Trial With the closing arguments made in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, Now the jury must deliberate. That the teenager killed two people in Wisconsin last August during Black Lives Matter protests is not contested. What the jury must decide, after more than two weeks of video evidence and testimony, is whether he acted in self-defence. The case has divided America. A left-wing politician branded the defendant a, quote, domestic terrorist. Right-wing ones call him a, quote, hero. Mr Rittenhouse claims that he was defending himself from unstable rioters who wanted to kill him. The prosecution argued that, having brought a deadly weapon to a protest for no good reason, he was trigger-happy rather than genuinely threatened. The jury must assess the threat posed to Mr Rittenhouse as well as his intent. The most serious charge, intentional homicide, could produce a life sentence. But, given its gravity... It is also the hardest to prove. Himalayan Ups and Downs Tourism in India 
The government's old tourist slogan, quote, Incredible India, cuts both ways. Given its spectacular profusion of monuments, landscapes and human pageantry, it seems incredible how few foreigners choose to visit the country. For the first decade of the 21st century, they were just 5 million to 6 million a year, compared with China's 50 million to 60 million. Yet despite headlines about violence and pollution, India's intake doubled over the past 10 years, reaching nearly 11 million by 2019. COVID-19 demolished that. And this March, a year after India banned all holiday makers, it experienced a devastating delta wave, which many feared would turn off future visitors. India only started issuing tourist visas again on Monday. Rebuilding the industry may require unconventional approaches. Medical tourism, particularly for cancer treatment, has a resilient appeal, especially from neighbouring countries. A new airport was just inaugurated in Kashinagar, where the Buddha achieved his final nirvana as an invitation to East Asian pilgrims. But even as foreign tourism stumbles, the pandemic has encouraged strides in the domestic kind. Dressed Up The History of Fashion Accessories In the Victorian era, a wealthy woman wouldn't dream of leaving the house without covering herself from fingertip to elbow with a pair of pale gloves. Leisure was a badge of honour, and gloves confirmed that their wearer need not work. These days, work is a source of status. The most ubiquitous accessories, beyond face masks, are Bluetooth earbuds to block out background noise while toiling, and covers that protect smartphones. On Wednesday, the Museum at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York will open a new exhibition, charting the history of women's accessories over the past two centuries. The objects on display are concerned with what Thorstein Veblen, a Norwegian-American economist, called, quote, conspicuous consumption, the way individuals buy products that publicise their position, desired or real, in society. They also show how what is deemed worth showing off changes along with society itself. Finally, here's the quote of the day from José Saramago, who was born on this day in 1922. The difficult thing isn't living with other people, it's understanding them. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 